Welcome to the Raising Kids Together podcast. Raising Kids Together is a place where moms of all ages and stages come together from all over the world to walk this journey of mothering with one another. This podcast is just a small glimpse into the things that we are talking about in our daily Zoom meetings. I am your host, Tina Smith, and each week you can listen in as I and others share God's word and grow in our spiritual parenting. I am praying that you are blessed as you listen in. Welcome, everyone. Tina, yeah, you hit record. Good. All right. So I am super excited about studying the book of Revelation with you. Um, The book of Revelation, I just want to give you a little bit of a background today. But we're also going to focus in on the subject of the book of Revelation. So most people, when they think of the Revelation, think of end time events. And in truth, that is the secondary topic for the book of the Revelation. The primary topic is Jesus. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. So if you've got your Bible... Go with me to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to start there, and we're going to read the whole chapter. Um, And I think you are going to hear a lot in Revelation chapter 1 that you just heard in that song. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version. And Revelation chapter 1 says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we find right there who this is all about. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ and to the things he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. We'll come back to verse three. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and his father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. We'll come back to that as well. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. You know we're coming back to that. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. 
and what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. From Genesis to the end of Revelation, it is holy, it is inspired. And God, I thank you that you have given it to us so that we will have wisdom and knowledge of you of your acts of what you are doing in our world. Father, I just come before you this morning asking you, Lord, to teach through me. Father, I am a woman whose sins are so many. And so, Lord, hide me behind the cross so that all these ladies see is Jesus, Jesus, and Jesus alone. Father, teach us what you want us to know. Lord, I pray that you would bind Satan. He does not want us to have the hope and the peace that this book of the Bible offers. And so, Father, bind him today. God, help us to take what we learn deep into our hearts and souls and let it change us forever. And it's in your name I ask these prayers. Amen. All right. So um, some of you may like history as much as I do. Some of you may not, but we're going to do a little bit of history because I think it's always super important for us to get context when we're studying the book of the Bible and none so, so much as the book of the Revelation. So on your handout, I, I hope I have given you plenty of room to take notes, plenty of room to fill in the blanks. Um, so let's get going. Context, historical context is crucial with the book of the Revelation. Um, there are two possibilities for the dating of this book. Uh, some people say that it was written around AD 68 when Nero was emperor. Others lean more toward, and I think the predominance of people lean more toward the AD 95 dating. And um, the stronger arguments are actually the AD 95 dating, especially as we look next week at the seven churches of the Revelation. 
all of these churches came out of Paul's ministry. And so, um, especially Ephesus, which was the mother church. And so Paul ministered in the, you know, the, the AD 70-ish, um, mid, mid AD 60s is when Paul ministered. And so he, these churches would have been started in that time period in the mid AD 60s. And so to think that maybe in just three short years, they had gone from vibrant to the, the situation that some of the churches were in is not really realistic. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why the AD 95 dating has so much stronger um, evidence behind it. There's a, there's a lot of other reasons, but that's one of the primary ones. Also in the book of Revelation, Babylon is referenced many times and um, it's referenced as a descriptor for Rome. They likened Rome to ancient Babylon. And so that didn't begin until after the temple was destroyed in AD 70. So the AD 95 dating is probably the one that most scholars hold to. So when we say the book of Revelation, um, it's actually the Revelation, and I'll show you why. The Greek word that's, that, um, that is used for Revelation is apocalypsis, and the meaning of that, yes, Vanessa, John was very old when he was writing this book. We're going to go into that in just a minute. Um, good catch, very good catch. Um, so the meaning of the word apocalypsis is that it refers to something that was formerly hidden, but is now being unveiled, which makes absolute sense because that's what God is doing with this book, hidden, but now being unveiled. So it also, this word also means a direct revealing of a word from God. And this, this word, this Greek word apocalypsis for, or revelation is used in several other places in the Bible. And we could, we could look at all those, but we won't for the sake of time today. But um, I, I do want us to turn um, to Amos chapter three, if you've got your Bible and can get there um, fairly quickly. I, I still, you know, I've been a Christian since I was 15 years old, and I still struggle a little bit with all those minor prophets finding where they are. But in Amos chapter three, this goes along very well with the, the title, the revelation or the apocalypsis, the unveiling. Amos chapter three, verse seven says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servant, the prophets. And so end time events are being revealed in the book of Revelation. And God is, is um, bringing to pass exactly what he said in Amos 3, 7. All right, so the book of the Revelation can be divided into three distinct sections that are defined by Christ. And I said we would come back to this. So look at um, Revelation 1, 19, and it says, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So three distinct 
sections of the book of the Revelation, the things which you have seen are chapter, that's what we're going to study today, chapter one. The things which are, we're going to study next week, chapters two and three, which are the seven churches of the Revelation. And then the things which will take place are end time events, and that's chapters four through 22. Make sense? Okay, so my, my goal as we study this book is to begin to help you see things that were formerly hidden. Help you, I want to unveil some things for you. Um, things that you might have been scared to study, things that you might have um, have just not understood and didn't want to study them. You know, while Jesus is the um, the subject of the book of the Revelation, the story that we see in the book of the Revelation is the ultimate triumph of Christ and the ultimate defeat of Satan. And so if Satan can convince us not to study this book, he's won at least a small battle because then we remain in fear. Then we remain in uncertainty. Then we have our peace disturbed. But when we study this book and really get to understand it, Satan loses his power against us his power to cause fear in our lives. And so that's what I've been praying for every one of you, that you would find the peace that comes from understanding more about this book. Are we going to understand everything in this book? No, not until we see Jesus face to face, but we can understand enough that we do not have to walk in fear. We do not have to live in fear. We can look forward to the future. All right. So um, I, I, I'm not seeking to make biblical scholars out of any of you. I'm not a biblical scholar. I have, I have absolutely no formal training in uh, biblical scholarly things. Um, everything I know, I've just studied and learned on my own. But I think it's important for you to understand that not everybody looks at the book of the Revelation the same way. Um, and so there are about five different views of the book of the Revelation. And I just want us to skim through these really quickly. Um, I will tell you the one that makes the most sense to me. But I want you to take this straight to the Holy Spirit. Ask him what, you, what he wants you to believe and know about this book. And you decide which one makes sense to you. Now, there's going to be some big, fancy, scholarly, bible -y kind of words. You don't have to know all of those, um, but they are the names of the five different views of the Revelation. And I've given these to you in your handout. The first view is the preterist view, P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-T. And this view of the whole book says that Revelation pertains to events taking place in John's day rather than in the future. Many people who believe in this view also hold to the earlier AD 68 dating. Now, the problem with that, in my mind, 
is that John has, has said, Christ has said through John that this is a prophecy of what's going to take place. So if the preterist view is right, they believe that, that everything in the book of the Revelation has already happened, that it happened in John's day. So that one doesn't seem plausible to me. The second one is historicism. This view holds that Revelation is a panorama of church history. Over the span of church history from, from, from the, um, the time after Christ died to now, this view holds that all of Revelation has and is currently happening. Now, this view also ignores John's claim that the book is prophecy. Um, and this, the people that hold to this view also believe that church history is symbolized in the seven churches. And I'm not going to go through all of that. I've written it out on your handout, I think. Didn't I put list the seven church? Okay, good. So you, you could read that and see kind of how it fits. Um, and especially next week, as we go through the seven churches, I think you'll see it more. Again, though, this view um, discounts the John's claim that the book is prophecy. But I will tell you that there are some pretty big names in church history that believe in this view. Um, Wycliffe, John Knox, Tyndall, Martin Luther, John Calvin, um, John Wesley, Edwards, Spurgeon, Finney, some big names believed this about the book of the Revelation. All right. The third um, view is the idealist view. And those who hold to this view believe that the symbols in Revelation are to be understood as allegories or parables of spiritual truth, that they're not really going to happen. They're just parables. And this view really depicts the cosmic struggle of good and evil. Um, and but it forecasts that God is going to triumph. Um, there are some pretty well-recognized names that hold to this view as well. Augustine, Jerome. Um, you may not know Jerome unless you do some pretty in-depth um, studying of, of the Bible. He's, he is a long, long, long ago scholar. Okay, so the fourth view is the futurist view. This view believes that chapters 4 through 22 form a prophecy of John that has yet to be fulfilled. Now, I will tell you that this is the view that makes the most sense to me. Um, and again, there are some, if, you're, if you do much in-depth studies, there are some names that definitely hold to this view. Um, Irenaeus, Justin, Hippolytus, and a large part of the modern church holds to this futurist view. Now, that is not to say that we are, may not be in already into chapter four, five, or six. And we're going to learn about all of that in the coming weeks. The fifth view is eclecticism. This is really kind of a mod modified idealist view, but it is, of the five, it is the least um, prominent. 
Okay. Um, any questions really quickly before we go on? I know I have thrown a ton at you. I, I, I don't see anybody's eyes glazed over just yet. And so I'm pretty thankful for that. Okay, all right, so let's go on. Um, if you have a question, sh shout it out. That's fine, I'm happy to answer. All right, so who is the audience of the book of the Revelation? Um, if we look back in Revelation 1, uh, verses 1 through 11, we are told exactly who the audience is, but we get it through what's called progressive revelation. So let's take a look at that. In verse 1, um, John writes the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, which God gave Jesus to show his servants the things that must shortly take place. So the servants of God are the audience of God. Well, the word that you is, um, is a word that really means slaves. And it's not just any slave, though. Um, in Exodus 21, verses 5 through 6, we find the description of, of this particular word. Let me read it for you um, quickly. Exodus 21, 5 through 6 is the description of a bond servant or a doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S. And it says, but if a servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges and he shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl and he shall serve him forever. So the servants are, of God are those who willingly serve the Lord, who willingly accept Christ as their Savior and put themselves under submission to Christ. So that's the beginning of who this book is written for. Now, we look at verse three of Revelation chapter one, and it says, blessed is he who reads those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are in it for the time is near. Okay, so here's more revelation about who this book is for. There, there are three levels of participation with this book. The reader, the hearer, and the doer. And this is so important that if you look at Revelation chapter 22, let's go to Revelation 22. We're going we're gonna to go to the end for just a minute. Revelation 22, verses 7, 14, 18, and 19. We're going to hear this again. Behold, I am coming quickly. This is Jesus talking. I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. All right. So we've got the, the reader, the hearer, and the doer. Jesus is addressing 
that these people in this verse. So seven and then verse 14, blessed are those who what do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city, the doer. And then 18 and 19, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So we've got the reader, the hearer and the doer. So we've got a slave who is a reader, hearer and doer. All right. Let's look at verse four to find out more about who this book was written to. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia. So initially, the book of the Revelation was written to the people who were in the seven churches of the Revelation. Now, I'm going to share my screen again, and I'm going to show you a map to help you see what I'm talking about. Um, this is a map of Asia. Here would have been the island of Patmos where John is, is living. He is a prisoner of Rome. And just a little ways off what is today modern day Turkey, we find the seven churches of the Revelation, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And we're going to learn all about these churches next week. But this is who the original book of the Revelation, the unveiling, was written to. All right. Um, so let's learn a little bit more about who the audience is in verse 9. We see John say, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ. So John is telling us <clears throat> that the audience had suffered persecution. John had suffered persecution and he was saying, I'm your brother in the tribulation. These were churches who had endured tribulation. And next week, we're going to see all about that. Um, let me tell you just a little bit of what they might have suffered just to give you an idea and prepare you for next week. Christianity at the end of the first century was hated. Christians were hated. We know nothing about that kind of hatred in the U.S. today. But Christians were absolutely hated in those days. And so some of the reasons that they were hated were they were disloyal to Rome. They did not bow to Caesar. They rejected the Roman gods. Um, they worshiped an invisible God. And so the, the Romans hated Christians. Uh, Christians were thought to be cannibals because of the body and the blood thing of Jesus Christ. As we take communion, we talk about the body and the blood. They were thought to be cannibals. Um, most Christians were from lower classes and they were despised by the aristocracy of Rome, the higher um, people in Rome. 
Um, Christians considered all people equal and Romans did not. There was definitely a, um, a class system in Rome. Um, and Christians declined to participate in the pagan festivals in, the, in Rome. So for those and many other reasons, Christians were hated in the first century. Um, in verse 11, as we've already talked about, uh, the identification of the home churches of the audience were given. And those churches, and again, we'll talk about this next week, but those churches were positioned in <clears throat> um, districts of Asia um, that would have, and they were positioned in a way so that there would have been um, an orderly dissemination of information. So let me go back to that um, visual for you and show you. So these were key postal districts of this time. So a um, male would have landed on a ship at Ephesus and would have been disseminated in a circular fashion, just like I'm pointing out, throughout Asia. And so when John wrote this revelation, it would have been sent to Ephesus and then it would have traveled in a circular fashion and been distributed to each of the churches. Um, and so that tells us a lot about the audience and we'll learn more next week. All right, so let's turn from the audience to the author. I've been talking about John and we usually assume that it is the apostle John, but other Johns have been put forth as the possible author of this book. And um, I'm not gonna go over who they were. Uh, the majority of scholars believe it was the Apostle John. And a few reasons why the Apostle, uh, the Apostle John is the most plausible author. And this is cool, y'all. This is so cool. Um, only the Gospel of John and the book of the Revelation refer to Christ as the Word. He's not referred to the word anywhere else in scripture other than John's writings. Um, Revelation often describes Christ as the lamb. This is a title only given to him in the gospel of John other than Revelation. And finally, both the gospel of John and Revelation refer to Jesus as a witness. So you see how the writing kind of mirrors and it looks like the Apostle John was indeed the, um, the author of the book. So what was the condition of John? What was his life like when he wrote this book? Well, he was probably 80 to 90 years old. And if you recall, John was the youngest of all the apostles. And so all the others had been martyred or died and John was the only one left and he was probably 80 to 90 years old. He was a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos 
And <clears throat> this is an island about 40 miles off the mainland where Roman prisoners were sent. Um, and this was not a cushy life for John. Uh, Patmos was a rocky um, island and, and the conditions were horrific. He would have had hard labor at 80 to 90 years old. Um, he would have worked really hard. Food would have not been plentiful. And he would have in all likelihood slept on the ground. So he wouldn't have been sheltered other than trees or what they could find there. Hey, Leah, I have a quick question for you. Okay, Margaret. So, um, so you know, in that time, people lived longer. So in, in correlation to our, because in our minds, like 80 to 90 is like nursing home. They're having a hard time getting around. Is, is that similar to what he would have been? Or would he have been a little younger in our eyes because their, their length of their lifespan was longer than ours? Well, I, that's a great question. And I, by this time, you know, sin had so um, decimated the world that lifespans had gotten much shorter. Um, in scripture, and I don't remember the reference, but it, it talks about the lifespan of man would be no more than 120 years. Um, and so I'm thinking it's pretty comparable to what we have today in an 80 or 90 year, year old would be my guess. Um, and so I told you we were going back to this verse because it's so important. Look back at um, Revelation 1 verse 10. Yes, NECA, that's right. Lifespan kept reducing if you read through Genesis. Okay, so verse 10. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. John, uh, don't miss this. John's a prisoner. He's living a hard, hard life. He doesn't know if he will ever leave Patmos. And what is he doing on the Lord's day? He is worshiping. He is worshiping the risen Lord, how convicting is that? Because I get down and I get in the middle of a hard time and is worshiping the first thing I think about. All too often it's not. So John was worshiping. All right, so let's turn for the final few minutes to the subject of the book of the Revelation, and that's Jesus. Um, this is crucial for us to understand and for us to find peace that Jesus is the subject of the book of the Revelation. Um, the events of the second coming are, of the, the events of all that's going to go on, the hard stuff, is secondary. The primary thing we want to see as we, and remember as we study Revelation, is that it's all about Jesus. And so the picture chapter one is of a ruling Messiah who is full of power and authority. 
And this stands in direct contrast to Jesus' first coming to earth. First coming was as a baby. Second coming is as a warrior, king, priest. And that is who is going to shepherd the church through the tribulation. Um, we're not going to go over all of these. I have given you this list of the titles that you will find just in the book of the Revelation for Jesus. But I encourage you to read over this list. Faithful witness, firstborn from the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth, alpha and omega, first and last, living one. So many titles for Christ in the book of the Revelation. This is where we draw our strength and our hope that he is not that weak, little, humble baby. He is the warrior king. I want to read a quote by Warren Wearsby to you that I think is, is, um, is very encouraging. Wearsby says, in Revelation 1 and 2, Christ is seen as the exalted priest king ministering to the churches. In Revelation 4 and 5, he is seen in heaven as the glorified Lamb of God reigning on the throne. In Revelation 16 through 18, Christ is the judge of all the earth. And in Revelation 19, he returns to earth as the conquering king of kings. The book closes with the heavenly bridegroom ushering his bride, the church, into the glorious heavenly city. Praise God. So one final thing let's look at. I know we're running out of time. I'm sorry. There's just so much to, to share with you. Um, let's look at the titles, the final titles for Jesus in this um, chapter. Let's look back at Revelation 1.8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The one who is, is our high priest interceding for us continually before the throne. That's what Jesus is right now. And I've given you scriptures for all of these that you can look up. The one who was is Christ as creator, the God-man, the lamb, the victor over death. The one who is to come is the ruling and reigning Messiah. And in Revelation chapter 1, we see him described. His clothing speaks of a king and a priest. His white hair speaks of holiness, wisdom, and purity. His flaming eyes speak of penetrating gaze and judgment. His feet of brass speak of divine judgment. His voice, authority, and power. His mouth, there's a sword coming out that depicts truth and judgment. His face shining like the sun is the burning intensity of truth. 
and stars in his hand depict control. I'm going to finish with a quote from one of my favorite commentators, John MacArthur. Jesus came the first time in humiliation. He will return in exaltation. He came the first time to be killed. He will return to kill his enemies. He came the first time to serve. He will return to be served. He came the first time as the suffering servant. He will return as the conquering king. The challenge of the book of Revelation makes to every Every person is to be ready for his return. John Phillips writes, one of the most stirring pages in English history tells of the conquests and crusades of Richard I, trouncing Saladin, his kingdom fell on bad times. His sly and graceless brother, John, usurped all the prerogatives of the king and misruled the realm. The people of England suffered, longing for the return of the king and praying that it might be soon. Then one day Richard came. He landed in England and marched straight for his throne. Around that glittering coming, many tales are told, woven into the legends of England. One of them is the story of Robin Hood. John's castles tumbled like nine pins. Great Richard laid claim to his throne and none dared stand in his path. The people shouted their delight. They rang peal after peal on the bells. The lion was back. Long live the king. One day, a king greater than Richard will lay claim to a realm greater than England. Those who have abused the earth in his absence, seized his domains, and mismanaged his world will all be swept aside. Only those who love his appearing, who loved Christ and acknowledged him as the rightful king will enjoy the blessings of his kingdom. I'm so thankful that you joined us for this week's episode of the Raising Kids Together podcast. I hope you've been blessed by listening in on our Zoom room. We would love for you to join us. You can come when you can and come as you are. Simply go to RaisingKidsOnYourKnees.org and click the button on the front page to enter the Raising Kids Together Zoom Room. We meet Monday through Friday at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time. Have a great day.